Hey, everybody. Happy Thursday. Welcome back to the podcast daily, a very special episode, one of the most special that we've ever done. We have a friend of the podcast joining us, a longtime friend, one of the greatest friends any of us have ever had, John Bryce from Football Scoop, uh, also lives in South Bend. So we're looking to him today for some Notre Dame insight and access. He will be in Columbus over the weekend. I hope he's found somewhere to stay. Uh, I hope so too. Chateau de Ward, uh, maybe is booked. I'm not sure. So um, my wife's in charge of arrangements, but uh, we all know what that's like to uh, play second fiddle. Yeah. Well, you do have to compete because normally that guest room is occupied by the co-host of this episode, Jeremy Birmingham over there. So yeah, I'm surrendering it though. This week, John can have it. This weekend, I'm gonna I'm gonna depart Columbus and head back home at you know whatever time that we get out of that stadium on Saturday night, but. Uh, I, I just want you to know that I expect you to make sure you turn everything over, you know, your, uh, your magnanimous <laughs> selflessness is not lost on me, Berm. You're a gentleman and a scholar. Oh, that's true. <laughs> All right. That's, that's, uh, the two JBs over there. I am Austin Ward and we are now just two days away from kickoff in the horseshoe, uh, a top five showdown that John, uh, doesn't feel quite like one to me. Uh, with a 17 and a half point spread what has been the mood in South Bend as these Irish get ready to try and go shock the world yeah I think the mood is probably just relatively business-like it's a, a one of resolve I don't get the sense from being on campus earlier this week that there's a, a lot of uh, intimidation out of the Notre Dame camp look they know they have to play extremely well they know that there's a tremendous challenge on deck, but there's a lot of belief from this program that both emanates from the top down and from the down up. And um, I think that's probably the best thing that, that Marcus Freeman has done for this Notre Dame program, having been in South Bend now for about five years and, and been closely around the Notre Dame program for three to four years now. Um, there is a different mindset. There is a different approach. And there's certainly, uh, without question, much more unity in this program. What that means on Saturday night we all will see sometime after 7.30. Um, but there is more collective buy-in, I believe, in this Notre Dame program, uh, again, and that starts um, directly because of Marcus Freeman. I think that starts with the players who last year basically pulled off a coup to make sure Marcus Freeman was the coach. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and I think that there's, there's no reason for Notre Dame, as you look at it, to be intimidated by Ohio State. I mean, Ohio State is not – Alabama, as far as just the physical, they get off the bus and you're like, holy crap, these guys just look different. Ohio State, obviously, the the real challenge for Notre Dame is stopping the skill of Ohio State. And how, how do you do that to keep the game close in that first half before, you know, at that point, it could sort of slip away if, if you get if you let the offense of Ohio State start to get going a little bit. But I mean, I don't think Notre Dame from a physical standpoint should be intimidated by Ohio State. They are one of the top six or seven teams in the country. I think that to Austin's point about it, not feeling like a top five matchup, all that does to me is really underscore the disparity between the top three or four teams in the country, just talent wise, top to bottom one eighty five, and the rest of the country, because Notre Dame is undoubtedly a top 10 team in the country with talent alone. But if you really separate them out between Ohio state, Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, that gap is a lot larger than it probably 
would be perceived to be by people just looking at rankings. Yeah, I think that's a, a great point, Berm, and probably uh, potentially a future the podcast episode because we can uh, talk <laughs> about how that could play into the college football playoff expansion uh, down the road. But there is, I would say, a, a huge disparity between uh, – to me this year, I think it's between the top three versus maybe the next wave of nine teams. I think uh, one through three – are clearly in one class, four through 12 in another class. Um, to your point about not being physically intimidated, and you guys have covered uh, some of the great Ohio State programs of the last decade plus, and then Austin and I were in the SEC uh, together, and I made the comment just – Not not covering some of the great Tennessee teams. No, but the we last saw some great years. teams. We saw some great teams. That's my <laughs> point. Um, and we had great shower discipline, uh, thanks to Derek Dooley. That's right. But, um, That's right. Uh, I, I made the comment to one of the Notre Dame coaches a few weeks ago that um, for the first time that I've been around their program uh, on a really close basis now for four years, four seasons, they looked on their first and second string offensive line and about 10 deep on the defensive line um, to have an Ohio State type, to have an SEC type of uh, depth and, and units on those sides of the line of scrimmage. They looked like a Georgia and LSU some of the better Florida teams, obviously Alabama, they have much better depth and, and physical stature in that depth than I've seen Notre Dame have, you know, from 1819 on. Those, I believe it was on the defensive line on Tuesday night where some salty language was used, John. I just not used to hearing that from those fine boys in South Bend that they seem pretty confident, at least on that unit on the defensive side of the ball. And that's, a really intriguing matchup because in Columbus, Ohio State fans have wondered, well, can this group be as nasty and as physical on the offensive line as Ohio State needs to be? We saw in the rivalry game against Michigan, they weren't able to run the ball in those short yardage situations where they needed to win. You have Paris Johnson moving to left tackle. You have Dewan Jones, who had some issues with the speed rush last year. You've got new guys at guard and and then you know Luke Whipple there in the middle with the year of starting experience. But I mean, that's a talented offensive line, but if you're looking across you know, the matchups here, that's maybe the one that uh, Notre Dame probably could feel the best about. Well, and I think a, a wild card element of, of that very matchup, Austin, is Al Golden. And I think part of Notre Dame's confidence, quite, fr quite frankly, derives from Al Golden and what he's brought with him both as a head coach at the collegiate level and then a several-year assistant coach, both uh, with the Detroit Lions, not so impressive, um, and then uh, as a member of last year's Cincinnati Bengals squad that obviously finishes uh, Super Bowl runner-up. And so I think that a lot of the confidence that Notre Dame is displaying on defense obviously starts with uh, the Adam Alola twins that, that you referenced and then also the return of Isaiah Foskey. Uh, Riley Mills is a guy who I expect to kind of stamp his arrival very early this season, um, one of those uh, – Freakishly athletic, super hardworking guys, maybe the strongest player on the team, uh, firmly entrenched as a, as a significant part of the D-line rotation. And then again, schematically, I think uh, because of Al Golden, they feel like they're going to be able to bring some things uh, that can be potential disruptors and difference makers Saturday night. Is there always so much profanity at your media availability over there? That's weird. We don't have that. <laughs> no, I thought I was at your house for a minute, but um, <laughs> that was uh, that was unexpected behavior. You know, you guys know I spent a spent a couple of years teaching school as I uh, 
um, needed a, a little hiatus <laughs> from uh, from the media world and, and from uh, what Rocky Top had become by the time I left Knoxville. And um, unexpected behavior was a term I got very familiar <laughs> with to, to talk to my students. And uh, that was unexpected <laughs> behavior Tuesday night at South Bend uh, on the Notre Dame. Sure. John, do you know, obviously being around the Ohio State fan base, we, we've seen a number of, uh, you know, people over the last decade that are crazy, right? <laughs> uh, so that's just the way it works. But <laughs> being around Notre Dame, do you see like the fan base when they hear something like that on Tuesday night? I mean, I'm not going to put the quote up, but, you know, we can paraphrase <laughs> one of the um, adult. Uh, how, how do you say the last name? Adam Alola. Adam Alola twins said that they were the baddest MFers on the planet or something. Mamma Jammas, uh, I believe. Mamma Jammas. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my, my bad. I thought it was MFers. Um, but <laughs> when when that happens, the Notre Dame fan base is, you know, sort of regal at times and hoity toity, I guess is the word I would use. W was there an outcry in <laughs> South Bend? Like, how dare this happen on our esteemed campus? You know, uh, my wife Jessica and I ate lunch or ate dinner last night out on our patio. That's only pertinent because we live so close to campus that occasionally uh, I walk over. You could hear the cries. Yeah, I, I walk over, but that, <laughs> that, that was my point. I was going to say I heard no tears from our ladies' university last night. You know, I don't think uh, <laughs> I don't think anybody cares uh, what's said um, as long as actions on Saturday night back it up. Now, obviously, there was a little bit of embarrassment. In the moment there for some Notre Dame folks, but um, it's over and done with and uh, back it up and, and people, uh, he'll become a legend alongside, um, you know, Rudy and Montana and Theisman and all those guys if uh, if he happens to make a difference making play Saturday night. It, it, when you're talking about a guy who Notre Dame needs to become a legend on Saturday night, it might be Tyler Buckner, the quarterback kid making his first start. There's been a lot of rumbling in the Notre Dame media in the last few weeks between sites, between publishers and and fans, where, where people saying that he was inaccurate. There were some questions about him as a passer. And it's just fun to watch because normally all that sort of media insanity is reserved for Ohio State. So I was glad to see that, <laughs> that you guys were suffering some of that. But what have you seen out of Tyler Buckner that actually gives Notre Dame um, optimism that he's the guy that can walk into Ohio Stadium and do what – Matt Barkley did for USC in 2008 as a freshman. And uh, obviously Tyler's not a true freshman, but what do you see that gives you that confidence? Yeah, well, well, first of all, I would say let's not get lost in a silo burn, be it from the uh, Notre Dame fan base or the Ohio State fan base or the aforementioned Volunteers fan base that Austin and I know so well. Um, there's, there's that message board geniuses account out there on Twitter for a reason. It's not, it's not a feed of three programs. It's a, it's a feed of a lot of <laughs> message board geniuses across the country, but uh, your point is well taken. I would, um, I would number one contend. We didn't see a tremendous amount of practice. I had some uh, additional uh, chances to view things and to be around the program. I didn't, um, I didn't see enough to pretend that I'm smart enough to say Tyler Buckner was grossly inaccurate or Drew Pine was, um, incredibly accurate. Um, I think both those guys are gamers who play better when the pace is live, when everything is happening in a hurry around them because of their styles of play. Now, I can tell you uh, one of the full practices we've watched that both uh, Drew Pine and Tyler Buckner had incredible touchdown throws where they were flushed from the pocket, scrambling out, and made a really, really impressive throw on the run in a relatively tight window. For Tyler Buckner, uh, particularly because he's got a little bit better size than than Drew Pine, although neither of those guys is is overly large. 
Um, he's a guy that, that really needs in the flow of the game that probably sets up a, a bit of his throw game off of uh, his ability to run and engineer some things on the ground with the offense. Um, but Tyler Buckner has really nice arm talent. Um, he redid his mechanics um, maybe between his junior and senior year that never happened uh, out in California. And so there's been an ongoing evolution, I think, in that regard from some of his work with, with quarterback coach and then what he's obviously gotten from uh, a guy that I think is a brilliant QB coach and offensive coordinator in Tommy Reese. But um, I, I don't buy into the fact that, that Tyler Buckner has been wildly inaccurate. I have not personally seen that. You have sometimes throws where guys overthrow a guy for sure, and we've seen that occasionally. And you have times where this wide receiver core at Notre Dame is so depleted, we don't know necessarily that the receiver ran to the X. We don't know that he ran <laughs> – that he had his break proper. We don't know a number of those things. Um, but, you know, Tyler Buckner has uh, been throwing with Lorenzo Styles. I know the Styles family is a significant storyline this weekend. He's been throwing with Lorenzo Styles since they both camped at Notre Dame uh, when they were 15 years old. So, you know, five, six years ago. Um, but I, I don't buy into that notion. Now, it, it's a tall task, and he's got to answer the bell um, in one of the what I think is probably a top five venue in all of college football Saturday night. Um, so that that's an entirely different thing. But he answered the bell in a, in a relatively impressive environment on the road last year at Virginia Tech um, when he was forced to play and ended up playing nearly three quarters. John, you mentioned, you know, the Styles family. We know there's Al Washington, James Laurinaitis, and then the guy at the top, Marcus Freeman. There's a few other connections that go the other way with Tony Alford and and others uh, for Ohio State. There's a lot of crossover between these two programs. They they like to measure themselves against one each other, even if they're not primary rivals. And they almost almost never play. Uh, it's a I believe this is the fifth all time regular season meeting. Um, these series don't come along very often. But um, from your experience, we've talked this week about Marcus Freeman's comments about diminishing his own value of his degree from Ohio State and not making the same mistake twice. He's he said a lot of things to me that don't sound like the Marcus Freeman that I have long known. I don't know what has been your experience with what he's tried to do to put his imprint on Notre Dame. How is he doing with that? What is said more, I don't know, privately when you've been around uh, him and some of those coaches? Yeah, and I was in Marcus's office in late June visiting with him and I think uh I think he feels stung that some of those comments were uh, definitively taken out of context. And if uh, you saw the full quote, um, it really had more to do with the fact that Notre Dame literally had never offered online classes until the pandemic hit. And I think that that was, yeah. that was his point. You've never heard a Notre Dame kid go out and say, um, I don't know where this building is on campus because I don't, I don't go to class on campus. And I think that was, that was Marcus Freeman's point. And we've heard that. You know, not just out of an Ohio State player. I think we've heard that from a couple of SEC players through the years. Um, but the biggest thing I've done uh, or that I've seen that Marcus has done is um, really fully and wholly embrace Notre Dame, every element about it. He's big on the Notre Dame brand, um, and it is a, a global, globally iconic brand in a lot of ways. There are a few, few brands that stand on their, their name alone the way that I would say Alabama, Notre Dame, Ohio State. Um, maybe a USC, certainly Texas. To me, those are the premium brands in college athletics and especially college football. Um, so I think he's just leaned into tra tradition. He's leaned into the fact that um, 
they probably, well, there's no probably to it. They're definitely um, very conservative in their NIL approach um, in, a, in an era that it's harder than ever before to recruit if you're not non-conservative in your NIL approach. So, um, you mean aggressive. Yeah, <laughs> I do mean that. Uh, absolutely aggressive. If you're not giving an $8 million, a potential $8 million contract to a five-star quarterback, or if you're not lining up deals before guys ever move deep in the heart of Texas, then what are you doing? Um, <laughs> somehow Notre Dame is really not doing that. They really are not. And uh, they're a consensus top three recruiting class. And I think that's, again, it's the direct reflection of Marcus Freeman. Austin, you reference it. Um, and one of the, the ways I best got to know Marcus Freeman early on in, as a defensive coordinator at Notre Dame was because I said, hey, Marcus, you and I have a mutual friend. It's Austin Ward. And he immediately yeah. wanted to know how I knew you um, and talk to me about our relationship, you and I, and then talk to me uh, about our relationship, Marcus and I here in South Bend. And that authenticity resonates. And so I think when you ask about Marcus um, making a comment that he would tell you in a heartbeat, he was really, um, really misconstrued. And then the one uh, about not making the same mistake twice was just a, a flip comment that I guarantee you he would like to have back. He loves Ohio State. He really does. He has a great yeah. Uh, a great pride about having played there. And the man has an incredible, incredible relationship with Jim Tressel. And so, um, yeah, you know, if you're a first-time head coach um, at one of those globally iconic pro programs, you're not going to make every step perfect. Um, but, you know, Mark Freeman's overcome a lot of that because he is absolutely one of the most authentic individuals I've met anywhere and he, he is yep. pretty close to being in a class on his own in the industry that we all cover. Yeah, incredible uh, force of personality, uh, generous guy. Uh, looking forward to his return again to the Horseshoe. John, how would you most like to prepare? What's what's the routine now? You have a Friday night in Columbus, Ohio. It's been a few years since you've returned. What what do you have lined up on the itinerary? What needs to be on the itinerary? Four four years, I guess it has been since uh, I, I helped you guys cover a uh, Ohio State Syracuse game, and we took in a little Dave Matthews band. And uh, in the words of the great one, y'all got it right. Um, <laughs> so we'll probably have some tunes, I would think, Friday night. Uh, hopefully, um, mm -hmm. you know we can find some victims for the cornhole boards and uh, mm. you know, our wives will probably ultimately tell us what we're going to do Friday night. So let's be honest. That's true. I have, I have one more question, John, quick hitter from the Notre Dame perspective. I guess it's two questions. And then I can talk about somewhere in particular at the brewery. You'll almost certainly be at <laughs> on Friday. Um, let's from a Notre Dame. What do you know about that berm? I've heard about it. What's what's the player from the Notre Dame perspective that they're most concerned about beating them uh, for Ohio State? But also on the flip side, who is the one Notre Dame player that Ohio State fans don't really know about that they should be prepared to learn the name of on Saturday? Good questions. Good questions. I would say more so than an individual player, although uh, Travion certainly would probably be at, at the tip top of that list. Um, I think it's about the run game and um and Marcus Freeman said it point blank. Some players said it point blank earlier in the week as well. If Notre Dame cannot stymie or at least slow down and moderate the Ohio State run game, then uh, it's going to be a really long night. So I think um, more than any specific individual, the concern is uh, how does Notre Dame assert itself 
on the defensive line to help mitigate that Ohio State run game because that's when Ohio State um, is truly balanced, then that's an offense with so many NFL guys that, that you just see so much trouble ever, uh, not just stopping it, but even slowing it down. So that's number one. On, on the flip side of that, you know, it might be a Lorenzo Styles that, that had some key moments a year ago, but was never the featured guy. Um, but it, it's going to be potentially uh, bruising running back Audric Estime, who's been really, really impressive this camp. And he's like a, a sleeker uh, in shape faster Jerome Bettis, I would say, in modern-day bowling ball like that. Um, so those are a couple of guys. And in, and in the throw game, it might be uh, the true freshman Tobias Merriweather. He has probably been uh, the singular standout at, at the pass at the wide receiver position in camp, and he uh, he has the ability to really go up and get some balls one-on-one. So that that's a guy that I would look for. Fantastic insight on the other side of this from John Bryce, football scoop art. One of our best friends. It's great to share uh, the screen and some time with two of the foremost legal minds, also in all of college football media, uh, Jeremy Birmingham and John Bryce. Uh, thank you both for hanging out here. Going to be great to have us all together on a Saturday night in the horseshoe. For those two JBs, what do you got, Berm? You're, you're uh, rolling just, your I eyes over really, there. I'm really looking forward to hearing your guys' report uh, from from your time at at SIP on Friday and. Uh, <laughs> I think you should make sure that you let people know what time you're going to be there so you can welcome the general public uh, to, to challenge John and, and Cornhole. We, uh, I'll, I'll, I will have a later arrival well, the evening. So I'm not- I don't challenge John to Cornhole. No. He, yeah, he's my most successful all-time teammate. Yeah. Well, I'm saying, but people are going to challenge him, not you, oh, okay. because clearly he's carrying the team. <laughs> Well, you may. <laughs> I'm just. Uh, I don't know about that, but. I'm, oh dear. Yeah, I, I will sign off by saying it's been a uh, uh, an honor and a privilege to to be part of the Audible Free Berm movement here today. So. <laughs> so much. <laughs> you look at him. Hands crossed. Just distraught. Okay, let's wrap it up before he gets more angry. That's Berm and JB. I am Austin Ward. Thanks for joining us on the podcast daily. One more to go on Friday. And then it's game day. We'll see you there.